Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you work anywhere in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. This episode is brought to you by Dell Tech, and the topic today is the changes clause. And I really need to cut back on the coffee. It is comical how fast I'm talking during this episode. So let's get started. The contract has been awarded. Now, all I'm ever going to have to do from the industry side is exactly what that contract says. Correct, because the RFP we put together was exactly what we needed. No changes are needed. The contract is perfect, right? That's how they work. Never. Never. (laughs) Not one time. Not once. Maybe it has happened once. Well, not not to me. How about that? Not one time. The contract I ever touched was perfect. That's pretty rare rare for it to never change. I don't think it's just you. Today, we're going to talk about one of the ways that the government can change a contract, and this is through a changes clause. Before we get into that, let's stop and say thanks. I say thanks to Sheila Rayburn for continually liking and sharing our content on LinkedIn. She's been sharing our stuff for a while, and I appreciate that people are finding the podcast because she's sharing our content. Thanks, Sheila. And remember, everyone, if you like the podcast or don't like the podcast and you'd like to set up a feedback session to talk to Kevin about what you like or don't like, just go to askskyway.com. And then scroll down to the podcast feedback session. We're talking about the changes clause, or clauses, actually. This is in the clauses section of the FAR, FAR Part 52, and it's 52.243. In that section, there are multiple clauses that allow the government to make changes, and the reason there's multiples is the rules are slightly different depending on the contract type. We're not going to get into all the different ones. The general rules are the same, just a little bit of tweak, but just know that if you have a contract that has multiple contract types within the contract, you may have more than one changes clause. The first thing you need to worry about before you look at can you change something is, is it an in-scope change? In other words, is it something that's within the, the definition of what the contract is designed to buy? If you have a contract for aircraft, you can't go buy tanks with it. So it's got to be an in-scope change. Yeah, not usually. But you could add another radio to the aircraft or, or change the radio that's in the aircraft within that contract. And then the second thing you need is authority to change the contract. It needs to be a, with, with an agreed-upon approach to how can we actually change the contract. And that's the function of this clause. It gives authority to the contracting officer to change the contract. And then the third piece is, is it unilateral or bilateral? And we talked about that in, I believe, in the MODS podcast episode. Yeah, so does, does the government just sign and say, do this? Or does the contractor have to agree bilaterally that, yes, we will do this? So the changes clauses are contained in FAR Part 52, where all the clauses are contained. It comes from FAR Part 43, and it's 43.2 is change orders specifically. The rest of 43 talks about other change things. FAR 43.2A says government contracts generally include a changes clause that lets the CO make some unilateral changes within the scope of the contract, and they do that using a standard Form 30, which is called Amendment of Solicitation Modification of Contract. And sometimes we just call it the cover page or the signature page of a modification, right? Yeah, or just say the SF-30. A change can also be via email, electronic means, as long as it's followed up by the sf 30 eventually and that's yay for modernization far (laughs) since everyone actually communicates via email 
you can get this started very quickly with a change order via email as long as it contains the same kind of stuff that's going to be on the SF-30 because the SF-30 usually comes from a government contract writing system that takes a little longer to wrangle than just sending an email. Correct. And the only caution here is make sure you do both steps because uh, what happens is fast forward you know, two years and the contracting officer has moved on, the, the program manager has moved on, and they're, the contractor says, hey, wait a minute, you gave me authorization to do this. It's an extra 50 grand. And they're like, really? I can't find any, any documentation of that. And if now your 50 grand's hanging on an email. Oh, that never happens. Exactly. So <laughs> be, be very careful that you just no. don't get a stacking up pile of emails and never do the SF-30. Right. I mean, that's, and that's important for both sides. It happens all the time that you're, when, you're, when everyone's busy and the program's moving fast and everybody has other programs that they're working at the same time, it's really easy to get that email and say, yep, we'll do that. And then, like you said, two years later, there's different people involved going, wait a second, what happened? <laughs> Where'd that money go? Yeah. Okay, back to the FAR. That was yeah. 43.2A that says government contracts usually have a changes clause. B says, and this is the important part, it says the contractor must continue performance of the contract as changed. So if you get a change order from the government via an SF-30, you have to do what it says if it's within the bounds of the things that they're allowed to change, except – if you have a cost reimbursement contract, if it's incrementally funded, you don't have to continue to perform beyond the limits of that limitation of cost or funds clause. You don't have to work beyond the funding that they've allotted to your contract, and there's a whole separate podcast for that. And just go to contractpodcast.com to see the library of podcast episodes to find that one. Or search through iTunes or Stitcher or whatever else tool that you use. You were talking before about authority, Kevin. 43202 is called authority to issue change orders. And it says change orders shall be issued by the contracting officer except when authority is delegated to an administrative contracting officer. Yeah, no, no wonder this stuff is confusing. They're, they're both contracting officers, right? And right. As long as contracting officer is in the title there, you're probably okay. And we did a podcast episode number seven talking about the different types of contracting officers to explain that issue. The reason this language is in the FAR is that the CO is the only one that can change the contract. So if you get an email from somebody else that says, hey, do this. Don't. Don't. <laughs> there you go. It's, it's that simple. Actually, don't. Contact your contracting officer and make sure that this is something that, that wants to be done and then get the formal documentation. Okay. In general, we've been talking about these changes clauses. What can be changed via the changes clause? What can you do via a change order? If it's a service contract, you can change the description of the services being performed. And this is where, Kevin, you get to that in-scope, out-of-scope thing. It can't be something completely different. That if, if you have a janitorial contract, you can't have some kind of, of program management tasks added to it. You know, Go help this program office create an acquisition strategy. Those are completely <laughs> different things, probably out-of-scope. But if you have a janitorial contract that says, do this building, and now, now you need them to do – like one more room in that building that wasn't part of it before, that, yeah, that's, that's probably okay. So th the services can be changed within scope. The time of performance can be changed, the hours of the day, the days of the week. The place of performance, instead of cleaning this floor, clean the floor above it. If you have a contract where you're delivering a supply and this is something that's specially manufactured for the government, you could get a change order. The government could issue a change order that changes the drawings, designs, or specifications of what you're going to build for them or design for them. They could also change the method of shipment or packing of how you, how you get those supplies to them or the place of delivery. 
and this is a rough list based on their seven. <laughs> there are seven different clauses, and this is a these are general items in each one of those seven. So if it gets beyond this list, you're probably not going to be using the changes clause for it because it becomes a a negotiated agreement. All right, we did far time. Now we have to do the time zone thing. This is not really an acquisition time zone. Changes don't happen until after the contract is are issued. By the way, they're called amendments when they're a change to the RFP, but that's a whole different podcast. Right. Changes that's supposed different. to that, That's not the changes clause. Right. This is in the execution time zones, and it's really – it's the entire performance zone. You can change something the whole time. So as early as the honeymoon zone or even in the recompete zone since that, that's sort of the whole performance zone anyway. But execution time zones is where we're talking about. Now let's take a quick break for our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Deltec's GovWin IQ. GovWin IQ gives you context on opportunities available in the government market. Here's Deltec's Kevin Plexico to explain. One of the key services we provide for our clients is early identification of opportunities by going through things like budget documents, contracts that are in place that we know are kind of recurring contracts that are coming up for expiration three, four years out. We systematically seek contacts in the government in the program offices as well as the contracting offices to gather intelligence such as the incumbent contractors, any kind of context or background, a lot of things that you often don't get out of an FBO notice that you have to kind of do additional homework. We do that homework for our clients and then provide that database access to our clients who can then mine it for new opportunities that are in the areas of their interest. Deltex GovWin IQ is the essential source for information, teaming, and software solutions to help organizations find, manage, and win government business. From targeting to teaming to key points of contact for a given contract, use GovWin IQ to know more and do more. Now let's get back to the changes clause. Let's talk about the process for changes. Well, the, this is the process for bilateral changes. Uh, if it's a unilateral change to the contract, the contracting officer says, do this, and you do it. Process over. Yeah, <laughs> but there's, right. there's, it's more complicated for a bilateral change. The way this works is the contracting officer issues a change order via an SF-30 or an email followed up by an SF-30. If that change order impacts the contractor's cost or schedule, then the contractor has to assert their right for an equitable adjustment within 30 days of receiving that change order. So CO says, do this. Contractor comes back with a letter that says, we consider this a change. Now, how do we figure out what that impact is? The contractor may not know what the impact is to the change. If it's just deliver me one more of these things, maybe they know right away and can say this is a change, one more costs this much, easy. But it could be very complex. In that case, the contractor needs to take a little time, figure out the impact of that change, say it's a change to the the technical specifications of a very complex system, contractor is going to take a little while to figure out all the impacts. What work are we doing? What work are we no longer doing because of that change? They wrap it all into a change proposal and submit that proposal to the government. Then there's negotiations back and forth while everyone agrees for what a fair and reasonable price is for that change. And then to wrap it up, the contracting officer issues a supplemental agreement. This is a modification to the contract. And that supplemental agreement is the formal documentation of the change to whatever, the, the spec, the, the place of performance, whatever, and the impact on cost or schedule. Let's say that the government wants an extra report, or they want the report to be weekly instead of monthly. 
Well, right. same report, but you say, hey, just give it to me weekly. And the contractor says, well, wait a minute. It's the same report, but to have a person collect that information weekly versus monthly is going to cost more time. So that's asserting you're right. And then you go through and say, okay, how much is it going to cost? It might be fine. How much is it going to cost to write the report every week? How much is it going to cost to get it reviewed and ready for release? Does that report have to go through their senior executives, which means it could be thousands of dollars. And so part, and the, the beauty of this is that during that negotiation, the government may decide, okay, we'll take this report instead of that report. And the, the supplemental agreement may be zero. Or they may say, oh, you know what? We don't want it that badly. Or maybe every two weeks. <laughs> yeah. So that, yeah, there's a negotiation to this. But I mean, I've done that before where a report sounded easy until they showed me here are all the steps that the report goes through. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's not so easy. Yeah, that's a good example. Let's talk specifically about why the government should care about change orders. Well, the mission changes. I mean, customers' needs are going to change. Technology is going to change. I mean, you're going to, regardless of what you have, something's probably going to change if it's more than you know a one-year contract. If you had to write everything that you wanted exactly as you want it ahead of time and you can never change a contract you'd be on a cell phone contract (laughs) that's what that sounds like to me there's no changes clause in a cell phone contract and without the changes clause if you didn't have some unilateral way to to, or say here's the bucket of things we can change then everything every single little thing would be negotiable and it would have to be negotiated before a change could occur that's a good point which a lot of contracts that's that, that would take even longer. But things like changing the work hours from, say, that we, we originally the contract used to be, we need the contractors here from nine to five, but the mission changed on the base or, you know, or the office or office building or whatever, and now we want them to work 10 to six. So it's the same number of hours, but it's a different time frame. In theory, that would be something that's, it's, there's no, co- there probably would be no cost to that. I don't, that's a negotiated thing. It's still, still eight hours of work, right? Right. But keep in mind, if this were a commercial contract, and somebody's, let's say somebody's cleaning my house, right? It's a commercial cleaning contract. And I say, hey, I want you to be here at six instead of five. They're like, I don't work past five. <laughs> they could just say no. Right. If you're a government contractor, you have to change the hours. If it's going to cost you more, if that last hour, if it's overtime for anything past five o'clock, you could pass those costs onto the government. You could say, hey, this is a change. It impacts my price. I'm going to give you a proposal, and then we're going to negotiate, and then we're going to issue a mod that wraps it all up. That only works in the government world. The guy that, that's working on your house can just say, no, nope, I don't work past five. I don't have to do this. Yeah, the, the trick here is to know the difference between the unilateral and the bilateral actions on your contract. In general, if a change is in scope, it could be unilateral, even though you may have to do a modification later to, to capture that change in cost or schedule in the contract. But if it's out of scope, that's something that would need to be negotiated prior that can't, can't just be unilaterally here, go do this. And, and honestly, if it's out of scope, it might not even be able to be added to the contract. Right. Yeah, good point. Whole different podcast. From the industry side, you need to know that there are some changes that you have to accept. If it's within the, the things listed in your changes clause that the government can change unilaterally, you have to do what they say. You can, you can tell them that it's going to take longer or cost more money. But you can't just say, nope, I'm not working past five. It's also important to remember that if you receive a change that increases your cost and schedule, be sure to assert your right for an equitable adjustment. You have 30 days to say, hey, this is a change. It's going to cost something. I don't know what yet, but I'll get back to you as soon as possible. And, and so from place of delivery, that's one of the things that, that the CO can change, right? And we said, okay, we want you to deliver it to, from this side of the base 
to this side of the base. That was one example. They were like, okay. And then six months later, we said, oh, we need you to deliver to this base, which was in like, I think in somewhere in, in Kentucky versus this base, which was in, I kid you not, California. And they're like, <laughs> wait a minute. It's not the same thing. And because yeah, we'll do it, <laughs> but, but. It's, it's not free. You know, it's a lot. So, and it was one of those things that as I was working through it, I sent them the email and said, Hey, make this change. And it didn't dawn on me until they, until they sent me an email and said, this is an equitable adjustment. We're going to negotiate this because it's, you know, 2000 miles further away. So, but yeah, that's, it was one of those moments where I let, the, I let the email slip through and didn't realize that I was asking them to ship to a different time zone and expect <laughs> the same price. So, but I mean, it's, you know, people are human, but yeah, that was, it was a fun conversation. That, that's how like, we learn, Kevin. He said, are you kidding me? So anyway. So anyway, let's wrap it up here. It changes inevitable. I mean, change is what's what's that that standard that uh, the only the only constant is the law of change. So right. you're gonna have you're gonna have mods. They're simple and easy ones. There are some of them are complex. The dollar value of the contract isn't really the issue here. Uh, you could have a really simple contract change that costs a lot of money because it's a big contract, or you could have a really complicated one that only costs like fifty thousand dollars or five thousand dollars. But you still have these changes happening. There's still a process, and you got to know what that process is relative to the size of your contract. You may have a large dollar change, but there's still a process behind it. On major programs, changes like this are routine. You may even have more than one happening at once. If you're building a system that takes a year, two, three to to design and build the thing, you might have multiple changes, change orders issued happening at once, and later change orders may change things that you already changed once in an earlier change order that isn't even negotiated yet. It gets really, it gets really confusing. And it takes a lot of time and energy to track how all these changes impact the cost. I have a million stories that we should talk about on another podcast about negotiating change orders and change order accounting. I'll drop that term. Yeah, there you go. Did you, did you just make that up? That's a good one. Change order accounting. Didn't, didn't, no, it's, it's in the far. See? Learn something new every day. <laughs> so that we definitely have to talk about that in another podcast. All right. I'll talk to you later, Kevin. See you, Paul. Okay, that's it for this episode of the Contracting Officer Podcast. Thanks to our sponsor, Deltech, and thank you for joining us.